0: Welcome to On The Line, a podcast for tennis players, coaches, and fans. I'm your host, Jenny Robb. Today on the line, we have Nestor Burnaby, director and owner of Providence Tennis Academy. Nestor, thanks for being with us today.
1: Hi, Jenny. Thanks for having me on, and uh, it's a great honor.
0: No, thank you. So um, tell us a little bit about you and and how you got here and and about your academy. Sure.
1: Um, I've always been involved in tennis, so... um, I mean, since I was really young, my, my family grew up at a tennis club. Um, we moved to the States, to Northern California when I was about five, and uh, started playing at the parks, all that, and, and now I'm on the East Coast 25 years later, and I run my own little program, about 50 tournament kids, and um, it's going pretty well.
0: Wow, fifty tournament kids. You, you say little, but that doesn't sound that little to me. <laughs> so I, I've, I've, uh, you know, fortunately got to meet uh, one one of your players a few years ago, and she's she's had some great success. So tell us a little bit about how you modeled your academy. What are what are your standards? What are what do you? What sort of model do you follow?
1: Sure. Um, I I grew up in a in a very awesome. Um, swim and tennis club where my coaches were about the program you know everybody helps each other get better and once you become you know a, a better player, you know it becomes more individualized and and the the path comes either college or you know as far as you made it in high school um, my I mean my my standards are just come and work hard every day and you know try to be the best player you can um, have respect. You know, respect for your opponent, respect for the game mostly, and um, try to become better human beings as well. So, um, if it's a model, I—I I mean, I my parents are from Argentina, so I have a lot of that Spanish system where a lot of hand feeding, a lot of footwork, a lot mm-hmm. of conditioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I've I've played all over, so I picked up a couple things from everywhere I've been, and you know, it's—I don't think there's a. A, it's perfect fit for everybody if you go to spain it might not be a great fit for you know a, a different type of player so um you know it's it's individualized but in a group setting and it's worked pretty well here in in the northeast and you know it's it the 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 problem that i'm facing is really like the expense that we have to play indoors seven months out of the year and you know, you just take that as it comes and you, if you can't play two hours, you play an hour and a half and, you know, that's just how it was when I grew up in California. We didn't have indoor courts, so you just learned how to do more fitness when it rained and you just make adjustments as it goes. So pretty,
0: pretty yes. much. Wow. Okay, so if if you have such a short, you know, space of court time, um, what things do you really focus on to get the the most out of your time on court? Um,
1: what we focus on is, is developing the kids weapon first. So if it's a group setting where we do a lot of Academy stuff, we will try to, you know, organize that. So we have the kids playing, you know, a lot of points and a lot of basket feeding. Um, we don't have, you know, a set this week. We're working on forehands next week. We're working on backhands. Mm -hmm. Our, Our, our development has that our development program, the younger kids, they have kind of a, better calendar but with the tournament kids it's you know one week one week we have a, a focus on surf plus one the next week we're working on you know defending so just depends on like what we're needing that week and um it's it, we've had some good success being able to adjust on on the fly I would say um the the thing we focus the most is getting better every day if it's you know just one thing that's Basically, the the focus we have, you know, with each individual player, you know, I'll talk to them or we'll have it like this week. I want you to just focus on your backhand or, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. Um, that's basically how we do it. Um, our court, our courts are limited, but, you know, it's it's for the players that are playing with us. You know, they get the, the time that they need. And um, it's not it's not like how you guys have it in the south where it's. <laughs> 60 degrees and sunny and um so so yeah we it's let's focus one day at a time and get better and you know try to improve what you can at the certain amount of time that you have in that day
0: so how do you um set those goals like you know i love that you're saying you know we're very focused you know with the limited court time that we have we get out there and you know you get after those those goals that you have set so how do you set those goals
1: yeah, obviously we. It's kind of hard when we have to make adjustments. We we do have like the, the year year long goals, the fitness goals with that. Um, trying to tie it in with the player and the fitness program that they might be at. Um, you know, it, it, if a kid's working on you know his serve for three months um, every day, come in, try to, try to uh, get that serve going. Um, you know, if it might be this the next two weeks or just kick serves, we play a lot of serves with kick. -hmm. Uh, So it just depends on what's going on in that kid's individual plan, and we try to adapt it to the group, and and it's it's been very. We've had some good success with the kids that are are mostly on the national calendar, because the sectional kids, it's you know it's it's pretty easy to do a sectional kid um, schedule because they need so much work, and once they get to that national level, it becomes more individualized and more you know focused on the players' need rather than the group's need um and yep
0: so how much time do you spend with as far as with the player with the parent or or your your team of people that are for that player planning that schedule what does that look like
1: um the the schedule so i have a actually have a parent meeting in an hour with just a, a review for going into the high school season with this one boy's Right on the cusp of being back on a national calendar, he aged up, and so it's just reviewing. And we do the year plan, you know, for September to August, and um, try to come up with you know a couple things each quarter and long-term goal, short-term goal, that stuff. It's mostly looking at the calendar that the USTA sends you, and you know, make your make your uh, your peaks and what what you're looking to do. Um, this boy's trying to just get into uh to zonal so like he's trying to get top 15 in our section and and try to play you know hard courts kalamazoo for the first year in his age group um so it's just what meeting with the parents it might take 10 15 minutes from some parents take an hour for <laughs> trying to figure out you know why my kid isn't as good as they are but um it's having that open communication that i feel being at a small setting like i'm not you know saying we're we're big or small, I feel we're right about the right sizes, mm-hmm. have enough time to communicate with the parent. And a lot of communication comes through the kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of these parents don't know, and the kid knows what he wants to do. Um, I've been very fortunate where none of the parents have, you know, been the ones dictating the calendar or dictating just because they see what USTA has sent, you know, the maybe they add a level 3 or they have an idea hey do you think we should get extra national points but um but basically it's just open dialogue with with the player and then the parent and then trying to meet together and you know adjust every couple of weeks and the dialogue is basically day to day with with one of these players so um it's not like you're have like a giant headache like 3 weeks into the program and <laughs> so
0: No, that's huge. So has this type of communication with, with parents, is that something that's always been part of your program or is it something that you added in or how did that evolve?
1: Yeah. I mean, I've always had a good dialogue with, with, uh, uh, these parents. Basically I, how I started my program, I started with five kids on a Saturday weekend, you know, two hour group and it snowballed and, uh, 30 kids in 3 months and then like 70 kids a month or uh, 6 months later. So um you know adding the right type of guys around me has has helped where one guy will take development another guy takes the high school kids and I do high performance. Um you know I've I've always been a big believer that the dialogue has always has to happen if not no one knows what's going on. Um my coaches were extremely good with that. They they told, you know, this is what we're going to do. And this is, you know, our plan and our vision. And how do you want to go forward? And, you know, the player throws back his idea and come up with a plan and just go to work.
0: Wow, that's great. Now, as the leader, you know, of your program as the director and owner, how did you communicate with the coaches to give them their goals to accomplish in their different roles? And and what sort of things did you look for, for each of those roles?
1: Yeah, um, you mean finding staff in, that was capable of helping? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a, a lot of it has to do where um, you you know you try to interview guys that you have seen or you know of, and um, you know I, I was very fortunate that the guys I have and the roles I, I put them in, they wanted to do that role and they're highly capable of doing those roles. Um, you know, I, I think they take ownership and what they they're good at and what they can do and you know we sit down once you know we try to go once a week to get lunch or just talk and you know a couple minutes here and there before group and after group and like hey okay I have the plan this is what we're going to do um but a lot of it has to do with just talking to them and hearing them out and they might have a vision of hey I want to work you know just all out attack with the green ball kids or, you know, the high school kids need to play a lot of doubles points. So, you know, it's, it's being flexible to let them do what they do. And, you know, when I need help with the Academy kids, they step up and they love working, you know, in that, in that realm and, um, helping them learn as well. I've, I've had a couple guys come through where they were just basically, you know, out of college pros. And now they a couple guys are running really big programs Um, so a a lot of it has to do with the the guys that I bring in, they really want to learn and, and get better. And, and they bring the passion after they, you know, they see me there, um, you know, 24 seven, basically trying to make (laughs) the program better. So, um, it was cool.
0: That, that, that is, that is so cool. Um, do you, do you encourage, um, your staff to do continuing education?
1: Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge like, I I love education. I'm, you know, it's, I think it's my, my mom said, there's, there's two things that people can't take away from you. It's education and how much dedication you put into what you love. Mm. Um, and that's kind of, you know, what, what my, you know, I, if, if you can get better at one thing, you know, if it's going to take a month or it's going to take six months, can you just go do it and make the effort and, and try to get certified. Um, my, all my staff is both USPTA and PTR. Um, I'm trying to get both of them to go and, and get the ITPA. I think it's, it's unbelievable experience to be around that. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. So even, even the, the TP, the TPT, you know, the first, the Mm -hmm. first level Mm -hmm. that with just being around, you know, the weekend in in Atlanta with Mark and, and the guys he brings in and the level of, of education that that program brings, I think is exceptional. Um, you know, and, and I, I've I've been asked, you know, by USTA to, you know, can I help at like an RTC or something? And if I can't, I'll be like, hey, can you take my assistant in my place? So it gives them the idea like, hey, you know, he wants us to get better. And and I think that starts from the top down. If it's, you know, I, I have a kid, a national kid who used to come and, you know, she's she's going to be off to college soon. And I would send her once a week to a club an hour away to go train with other girls at her level and you know, it, it's being open to knowing what's best for, for the person in front of me, I think, has has really helped me a lot, especially being in a small state with, you know, limited access to courts. And uh, I don't know. I just I've been I've been very lucky, I would say.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds like you have a really unique opportunity to be mentoring some younger coaches, you know, separately <clears throat> from obviously all the players that you that you're working with and influencing um so that's that's really cool um so what would you say makes a great coach
1: a great coach um i think i think being able to communicate with the players obviously number one um i i i just i think that's with anything in life it doesn't matter if you're teaching art or if you're a tennis coach whatever If if you can't communicate with the individual in front of you. Um, it's going to be hard doing anything. Um, I think the other, the other thing is being able to be flexible. It's, it's not black and white really in tennis. It's you, there's a lot of gray area and you know what, what you might say might take, you know, three people to tell the kid to get that through their head. Well, you know, you can't have a, an ego that doesn't let anybody help, you know, the long term plan. Um, I think, I think I learned that young, uh, I was fortunate I had really good junior coaches and they knew the level that they could get me to and they were open to me going out and meeting new coaches and getting their ideas but I always brought it back to my home base and you know talked about it with them and they were good enough players to be able to see what the other information was coming in Um, that's been a very big success you know I've, I've sent players down you know to different academies or you know different coaches and you know the the goal still is the same, making the player the best they can be. Um, but but being a great coach, there's there's so many things. But if it you can't communicate, I think that's the biggest. Oh,
0: that's you know. huge for sure. Um, how how have you evolved as a coach?
1: Um, well, we had this discussion like two days ago with one of these high school girls that. <laughs> You know, I, I, when I when she first started about six years ago, I used to be like that army drill sergeant type. And then there's a running joke that since I had a daughter, I've become soft. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know if I've become soft, but I've seen the importance of, you know, developing and each step becoming so crucial that it's not just, you know, run as hard as you can for as long as you can anymore. It's it's let's get each step of the way. Like as good as possible, um, and it helps that my daughter now loves tennis and I get to play with her. But you know, I I think you evolve you evolve as a person. But as a coach, I've I've really evolved. You know, being more understanding. Like, okay, yeah, you know, you have to do something. It's not just tennis, tennis, tennis. It's you know, it's I I, I don't know. It's it takes time for for learning this. And it's funny being around like these hyper young, really motivated coaches that, you know, just want to yell and scream. And if you look at the best coaches, they're really good at talking to the player and then they're really calm all the time. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I, I like, I, I think I've been lucky enough that I have a couple guys like in my Rolodex that, you know, I just text them out or I call them up and it's like, Hey, you know, they're a little bit older than I am. And, you know, I have a couple of young guys that text me cause I've been already through this road a little mm-hmm. bit. I I think that's the other thing of being a good coach is being able to reach out to guys in your industry, or if it's a fitness guy, who can you reach out to that, you know, is going to make you better. Um, the guys I have, I, I mean, they're phenomenal. They're all really good. Technically some are good, better, some are better, you know, managing wise, some are, you know, ridiculously good technical coaches. And, you know, it's, it's good to have that at my access, you know, it's, and and, and the other thing that I think have being a good coach is being able to have, you know, different guys in different areas where I have a girl going to Texas next week and the mom goes, Hey, remember that guy from Texas last year that you set me up with? Can you call him again? So I think that's being part of being a good coach is being open to, to, you know, being around other guys. And, um, I don't know. I, I, I love tennis. so I can be, <laughs> I could be around, a a rec coach to a national coach and they're treat them the same way. So,
0: Sure. I mean, everybody has something to offer, you know, so I think it's really cool that you would send a player, you know, I don't know how often you get to travel with, with players. I mean, with an academy your size, there's, it's, it's pretty tough to have some a coach traveling with a kid to every tournament they go to. And that's, you know, financially can be a burden on, on, on the players' families. So you know I think it's cool to have that network that you can say, "Okay, you're going to be in Texas, so go to go to this person or you're going to be th- anywhere, but reach out to the, your network of friends and coaches that you trust to take care of your players I think that's that's a really big deal yeah, and
1: i I think you know if I was at a giant academy where we had five six kids going to each national tournament, it'd be easy, but you know a lot of a lot of my stuff is individualized and different age groups and when i mean one of our best trips was we were able to connect with uh with um jim harp who's down in atlanta you've had him mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. yep one of our, <laughs> we did we we did a we did an academy trip together at orange bowl and that was phenomenal i mean i'm i am i am planning a, a trip to europe this summer and i'm reaching out to guys and you know it's it's amazing how they're willing to help if you just you know ask um I just think a lot of, a lot of guys in our industry are just afraid to ask for help. And, you know, it's, I think the door's always open for everybody. It's just got to find the guys that are going to help you the most. And, you know.
0: Oh, I think but, that's a tremendous point. I think that's huge. So, um, you know, speaking of Jim Harp and, and, you know, kind of opening that door, who do you consider your mentors?
1: Yeah, I, um, my, you know, it's, it's. I've been asked this question quite a bit by even my players, you know, who, who do I look up to? Who, who do I ask? Um, I have a couple guys on my, we have a group text that, I mean, has unbelievable information. You know, it's, it's cool. It's, um, Bruce Houghton out of, uh, Charlotte, uh, Cameron Moore, Chris Horsher. Uh, those guys are like national guys, Jim, obviously, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when, when goalie was at USTA, I, I, you know, I would love to pick his mind. He's been around tennis, probably, you know, the longest out of any guy that I've talked to and his stories are great. And he's, his information was amazing. Um, there's a couple guys in Cali that I, that I communicate with cause I grew up with them and they've known me since probably I was seven, eight years old. Um, so I have different types of, you know, age groups that I look up to and, and look for help. I, I just think, being open to listening to everybody is the key. And, um, you know, if, if I can't reach one guy, I'll try to call another guy or if not, you know, I'll sit on it and try to find it in a book somewhere, or, you know, it's cool. It, tennis is so small and, and it's so, it's amazing that everyone basically has the same goal and it's to make the player better. Um, and, and I think it's, it's easy to find guys to, to mentor you and, and look up to and, um, and ask questions,
0: you know? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think asking questions, like you said, is, is, is a huge part. Um, so that, that is massive just to reach out to people and form that network that, you know, you can trust people and reach out to and learn from each other. I mean, it's, it's, that's so cool. I mean, that's exciting to me. That's exciting. (laughs) Um, (laughs) what is something that you do in every practice? Something
1: I do in every practice. <laughs>
0: um,
1: hmm. We we really work on on playing our game. I would say it's you know play play the ball the way you play the sport. Don't just work on cross courts. If if you see a ball and you attack it, play, be, play your style. Um, that's one thing we always do in practice. We always work on our serve. Um, you know if 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 it's serving points, if it's just practicing, we always work on serve. And I, I, I've been trying to do this better. And it was pointed out to, by one of my, one of these kids that started coming and he was just like a sponge. He's like, we don't do enough volleying. And, uh, and I was like, you know, that's a good point. Cause I thought, you know, I, I, when I grew up and I played, I, I was like an all court player and I loved playing at the net and I loved doubles. And, um, he pointed out, he's like, you know, we need to work more on volleying. And, Ever since he said that, I think every day we' do some type of volley drill or continental grip drill where you know we're only allowed to slice on one side and work on slice serves and um but I would really say serving and and playing your game are the two things that we always do
0: yeah that's really that's that's cool <laughs> um what What do you think that we could do better and this is this is a huge sort of broad stroke question but as far as growing the game, I mean, you know, the United States is so big that almost, you know, it seems like it should be, you know, so ripe to, to have so many players because we have so many people, but it's almost like the country that makes it almost harder to manage because the USTA has, you know, the individual sections and then the individual States. And what, what do you think we could do better to grow tennis?
1: Yeah. Um, is it's it's the you know the million dollar question all <laughs> right is we've had all this growth with the the progression tennis and the you know now it's the net net generation stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just think there there has to be a way where we can get all the sections aligned and 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 I think the problem has to be is we're, we're we have 16 sections right so I think how do we get how do we do it without the sections that that the national body is in charge um i think having the sections is good you know but like at the end of the day if if we can make a better national tournament by using let's say a utr or an ntrp rating Mm -hmm. why is each section allotted so many spots and i i know it's try to get them even and all that and equal participation but i i feel like if we change the way that our rating and our ranking system was in the States, like it is in Germany or it is in France, where they have, you know, a, a national uh, ranking. I think that's the one way to grow the sport, because uh, like the other day, one of our girls went to a tournament and then she obviously had a horrible experience because she was playing a tournament at the wrong level. And uh, and it was it was the lower USTA tournament, which mm-hmm. is the should be starting at. But there should be a way where and i know i know the partnership with usta and utr and you know has to become a little better i don't i mean i know it's they obviously haven't been able to use it but in socal the best section i would say one of the best sections in in the Mm -hmm. states they use utr for for you know seating purposes like Mm. we should be able to do something like that in in america where it's cohesive and and that's how I think we're going to grow the sport more, where kids aren't leaving the sport because they, they hate the tournament experience. And, you know, it's, oh, I am I need to play better matches and stuff. There should be a way of uniting everything together. And, you know, maybe maybe we're on that path with what UTR is doing because, you know, everybody uses it. The colleges, you can ask a college coach what, what kind of player they're looking at, and they're not telling you, oh, I'm looking for – a servant volley or a lefty, I'm looking for, you know, a twelve or a thirteen or I'm looking, you know, the other day I texted my buddy just to joke with him and I'm like, oh this guy's a thirteen because I know his 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 team's obviously over fourteen and he's like, Man, I can't even look anything under fourteen right now. And I'm like, you know, it's if that's what the coaches are doing, why are we worried about national rankings and wow. so in my, that's in my opinion and I'm sure. But yeah. There's... I mean,
0: that's, that's sort of the, the coming truth, you know, I mean, that's, that's, it's happening.
1: <laughs> yeah. And and I think the other thing that needs to happen is not just the cohesiveness of each section, trying to figure out that, but you know, if why, why is it Florida kids can, can't play yellow ball tournaments till 11, but in, you know, in, in new England, they can play, yellow balls if they've passed all these tournament rankings and points and you know there there should be one system in in the states where everybody does the same thing and i i would say you know i think i in my opinion i think this the southern section is leading the way with a lot of the stuff but you know maybe maybe socal's doing really good with the utr thing and you know maybe norkel's doing really good with their player development i you know i i think we have to take the the head guys the guys that are running these Sections and put them in a room and be like, how do we draw? You know, one roadmap for each player and for for all the players to be able to follow and and it can't take that much work. It it shouldn't be like, no, we're we're Texas section and we want to do it our way. We're you know each section can be individualized when we play tournaments and stuff. Let's say we have section like zonals, but you know like that's cool. But you know if. I have a kid from New England who's a UTR 8, and he goes to a national tournament, and he's getting killed by UTR 8s. Maybe an inflated section, you know, like that it isn't really true. And the UTR is good, but, you know, we also get, like, some co- coaches complain about inflated things, which should be taken out. I don't know, you know, how the they figure that out, but there has to be a way of doing that. And I think that's how you're going to grow the sport the most.
0: I think that's a, a really brilliant point, actually. I mean, I think that's a really important point. Um, so how do you feel about the sort of youth progression pathway or, or the, the journey from red, orange, green to yellow? And how do you approach that with your students?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a ginormous, you know, I, I love that stuff. I, I, I can't get enough of, you know... Um, the red, orange, green, and and the the stuff that they're doing for the younger kids. I think the problem that we're facing is when it's a tournament player, not just a beginner tennis player or, you know, the the rec tennis player, I think think we have to do a better job of when we say in a section you have to pass so many different matches and levels and trophies and all this stuff. Uh, You might have – I went to Florida, and it was ridiculous how – much more advanced their, you know, nine and 10 year olds were compared to some of the kids that I've, that I have, let alone like what's going on, you know, because they're playing more yellow green, a little bit younger. And, but that's because they're probably on the court more and, and that, but I, I think there has to be a way of getting a universal, like it, even if it's just for us in the States, like, you know, green ball is 10 and under orange ball is nine and under, They've done a good way of setting that standard and and stuff, but I I think it's a little bit too high for an eleven year old to not be able to play a tournament in in the Florida section in my in, you know in my opinion because mm-hmm. that's the sectional rule and and I think we have so many brilliant guys that have done so much like information on this stuff and studied like Ann and and uh, Mike Barrell and those guys to you know, they, they're, they're the leaders of this. And, you know, I, I think we're, we're taking it a next level by making the age requirements a little bit, you know, higher than they should be. Um, but that's, again, tournament players, that's not every kid in, in red, orange, green. And, and I think those tools are great. You know, it's, if if you need to use orange ball in your 10, that's fine. Um, it becomes individualized again, you know, it's how do we, how do we make each player better? Um, but, again, it, you can't please everybody. Um, some, right. <laughs> some, my, my my junior coach is coaching my nephew, and he is not a fan of the green ball. But my niece, who is a little bit younger, is, like, a really good green ball player, and she's six. So, you know, like, what's the? it's a thin line of educating the guys and, you know, the coaches. And, you know, you're not going to – it's hard to – give a a coach to change his own philosophy you know at times even though there's so much proof in the pudding
0: oh sure and you know that's an obstacle that I think uh coaches are trying to overcome everywhere or or they're either trying to overcome it or they're the obstacle (laughs) depending on how you look at it but um yeah, yeah I think I think you know something that we we talked about was you know there's a chronological age you know, you said you have a six year old that's, you know, doing really well with green green ball and you know, so I think that it, it it's beyond the actual chronological age, like you said. I mean, they're are you know, the playing age, their their physical maturity, you know, there have to be other benchmarks in place other than just you're nine years old, so you need to be here. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> no, I I agree. And and the problem the problem is you you face as The and I think this is what what happened maybe is that national, you know, had to make a rule like, okay we have to try to come up with something to please, you know, everybody. And that's hard, especially if you get a really talented like in Florida. I'm telling you, this nine year old boy was so good and he's playing yellow ball and he can't play a tournament. He can only do practice matches because of the sectional rule. And you know that I think that hurts the game. And if you use, let's say, UTR, and you know you have you know age requirements where you can use green ball or yellow ball, and you know it has to be flexible. You know I think we're going to get better kids younger if if we have that. And I, I don't know. I it's it's tough for me to, to see like that boy not being able to compete at like a national level, even though he 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 would have been really high.
0: No, I I agree with you there. Um do you, uh, <laughs> changing gears a little bit, uh, do you have, um, superstitions like when you were playing or what, what kind of rituals do you have your players do? Um, how do you address that?
1: Do, do I have, did I have superstitions and did I pass them on? To, so my players do that? Um, no, I, I mean, I, 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 I had a lot of superstitions, I think, like <laughs> yeah. tennis players and baseball players, you know, and basketball and, and all the, you know, each individual has that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I find it funny when I see like the kid coming up with their own ritual and like, I'm like, Hey, why, why do you double tap the the baseline or something like <laughs>
0: that? Right.
1: And, and it's, it might be like, Oh, you know, that's just what I have to do every point to get ready. But that's, Hey, that's their routine. We work on individual routines the same way as superstitions and you know I I I don't I don't pass any of mine on because I know my I I get called out like oh man you're crazy for having to do that or you know my (laughs) but that's mostly my wife telling me I I do certain things certain (laughs) ways,
0: right right. (laughs) she's
1: like don't pass that on please just make sure you do it yourself
0: (laughs) um what is your Proudest tennis achievement?
1: My proudest tennis achievement. Um, I would say, uh, oh, man, that's a good question. Um, Oh, man. uh, uh, My proudest tennis achievement would probably be being the first All-American at my college.
0: Oh, that's great.
1: Yeah. So I I think that being, I mean, I had there's... I, I think that because I, I went to college, uh, you know, I, I, I had some struggles, you know, figuring out the path of what I wanted to do. And I went to college, graduated in three and a half years and, and, you know, played really high on my team every year and, um, ending, ending my college career as All-American. I think that that's probably my, I don't know. I think I, cause I worked for it so long and, um, yeah i think i think that would probably be my my highest achievement my i'm proud yeah,
0: yeah that's phenomenal where where did you play what what was your college
1: yeah i played at sonoma state it's a d two school in california um and uh i grew up in Sonoma county where we had the the fires about you know a couple months ago mm-hmm. uh and i was gonna go away and things happened where I got to stay and play for one of my junior coaches at the college and um you know, I, I went towards that route because I wanted to be close to home. I love the area and I wanted to be the first one to, to, to put, you know, Sonoma State on the map. And, you know, I, I, I think um, I think a lot of kids picking colleges these days aren't seeing how they can impact the area that they grew up in. Um, they go for like these giant schools that, you know, probably will never play or they'll end up quitting in a couple of years where they might be able to get more out of their, their sport and more out of what they could do for the community um, by going maybe a little bit more local or going, you know, a, a different division and playing the highest level there. Um, you know, it's it's cool to see a player go to a school and be very successful and and that. And it, it scares me when a player goes to a school and they either get kicked off the team or, you know, they quit because, you know, obviously some type of reason where it wasn't discipline. Um, I, I, they weren't disciplined. Sorry.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I think I was fortunate cause I, I, I really looked up to the guy that was the head coach and he was one of my junior coaches. And, um, I was able to have like family be able to come and watch me play. And, and it was cool. It it was, it was a cool environment to be in. So I don't know, I guess it's, it's in the individual, right? So, mm-hmm um i don't know i think I think it's picking that route college route is it all comes down to in my opinion, I think what's going to be best for the the player and and I was just fortunate I would say
0: oh, I think that's a really important point to make that you know i I tell people all the time that you know if you want to play college tennis, you can now you know where I am you know here in the south you know maybe it maybe it won't be for a big s e c school but you know, like you, the point you made. There, there are other divisions. There are smaller schools. There are other, there are opportunities out there where you can continue your career. So I think that's a really good point. So thank you for that. Um, do you have a favorite tennis memory? Um,
1: yeah, I think I think one of my my favorite uh, and I'm I, tennis memories was um my first time at the U.S. Open. I, I was, um, long story, I'll try to make it really short, but, um, I was practice partners for, for Hennon in 02. Oh, and, wow. uh, and anyways, that was amazing. I, that was a, a longer podcast if you want, but
0: <laughs> that's before. a whole, that's a whole nother story. We have to do it. We have to do part two, <laughs> yeah,
1: but no, but the, the second day I was at the U S open, it was my first time ever in, in Flushing and New York. And I've always looked up to, to everything. And, and being back from argentina um in the in the dining hall was guillermo vilas and mm. um and my dad um sorry, I'm getting all choked up, but uh, uh-huh. so um my dad always talked about vilas like vilas vilas vilas, you don't understand this guy was amazing you like and then I got to meet him and uh and I think that was probably the coolest tennis experience I've ever had. And, um, you know, and then I went back to Argentina and I visited the V club. He has an um, unbelievable club down in Buenos Aires. And, um, but being from an area where, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure maybe in 30 years, there's going to be a Serbian kid that runs into Djokovic, you know, at some random tournament. And, and it's going to be like, oh my God, I met Djokovic or I met, you know, Roger and And that's how it was when I got to meet uh got to meet uh Guillermo oh
0: wow, what a special memory thank you for sharing that with us well Nestor, I know our time is getting short now, and you have to move on to the business of of running your academy, but I just want to you know thank you so much for for taking time to be on the podcast today We you know went through some really um important and and special and knowledgeable points so i just want to you know thank you thank you for your time
1: well johnny thank you so much and thanks for asking me to to be on and um if there's any coaches out there that want to get on our techs or need some help definitely don't be shy of reaching out and and hopefully i'll if i can't help you i'll lend you in the send you in the right direction
0: oh awesome awesome and we're gonna have to do that part too All right. <laughs> all right. Enjoy the rest of your day, Nestor. Thank you. Hey, Jenny. All right, Bye. All right, bye.